everybody welcome back to another episode of the core consult rx podcast and we got a full house today yeah using all the mics all of them every one of them roshana back in action roshana what's up hey i miss being here we miss having you and of course we also have our our good buddy who doesn't want to talk but he's going to anyway because he's a he's a team player jason what's up man nothing much how's it going good good Thanks for being here. I know this uh, talking to the mic up in front of a bunch of strangers is not your forte, but it's okay. We're going to learn to love it. But, but basically, Give it a whirl. he's saying uh, you're on rotation with him, so you're going to do it. I'm being healthy. There's no choice. My will. Yeah. <laughs> Tell everyone. <laughs> Send help. He's handcuffed to the table right here. Yeah, my rotation's a nightmare. For anyway, it's torturous for everyone involved. Long hours, no yeah. sleep. It's rough. That is true. All those trials you have to read, right? All those, exactly. Rashawn, all that learning you have to Rashawn do. Rashana survived. You'll be, you'll be good. Rashana, I was, uh, I, I was thinking about you because I, I don't know if I told you or not, but we went to Grenada, um, like a week ago. What? Yeah, loved Grenada. Wow. And um, got to hang out with some people. There's a couple people from Jamaica there that were talking, and I was like, "Hey, you sound like my friend's accent." <laughs> I was like, "I know that one." Well, I'm slightly offended because you didn't go to Jamaica. So <sighs> listen, we we planned the trip a while ago, but long before I met you. Otherwise, I would have changed it, and I would have mm. gone to Jamaica. Okay. Jamaica's our next. Actually, Barbados is our next. I was gonna say one, you booked another one. Was it Jamaica? It was Barbados. No. But thanks for calling us out, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaica one day though, I promise. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Oh, I believe you. And Mike's like, oh, I have to book another all expense paid resort in it's, Jamaica. It's rough out here. <laughs> it's rough out in the tough, suburbs. Tough for you, Mike. Dude, here's, I'm going to tell you a funny story real quick about um, that Rashana told me. Um, because we were talking about when she first got to the states and stuff, and she had she said that she had seen like all like videos of like New York and stuff like that. So in her mind, that's what the states were like. First place she got to visit was. Orangeburg, South Carolina. Nice. And it was a little different than New York, right, Rashawn? It's not New York. <laughs> it's, it's the New York of the Midlands. You're like, I left paradise for this? <laughs> this is a nightmare. Nice. So, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty... I was cracking up when she first told me that. It's like, oh, gosh, Orangeburg, that's the place we go through as fast as we can so we don't have to stop. That's like two no. minutes on the interstate. That's all I know about Orangeburg. No offense if you live in Orangeburg. Oh, yeah. Great place. Good people. Solid. Solid people. Yeah. Wonderful people. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now you're not offended anymore. <laughs> all right, guys. What are we going to be talking about today? Rashana, oh, go ahead. Sorry, came up with the great topic that all of us are just extremely, just very knowledgeable in. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about pericarditis. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we all start doing some review real quick, get up to speed, because that's a, that's one we don't deal with very often. We've done some cardiology stuff. Yes, that, definitely. But this is one we definitely have not done. You said no. you didn't even have to check the list. Didn't, we knew that I knew one off hand. off the top of my head. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Rashana, why did you pick this one? Have you been seeing this kind of stuff on rotation? Or what, what made you come up with this topic? Is this kind of a random... So it was one of the interesting cases. We were doing rounds one day and a patient had pericarditis that was induced by one of the immune checkpoint inhibitors. And everyone's saying that it's becoming more common. And since we're only making more immune checkpoint inhibitors and more monoclonal antibodies, I thought this would be a relevant topic that you'll probably see in more patients. So you saw it as a side effect? Yes. Interesting. So tell, give us a little bit of insight right there because oh, about that class of drugs. So that, the only time... Like the main like drug that I'm thinking about when it with this is something like one of the um, anthracyclines, like uh, doxorubicin or something like that. You can I know it can cause every once in a while can cause uh, 
cardiotoxicity in general, but also pericarditis. But what which class were, were did you say that you saw it in? The drug was pembrolizumab. What were you uh, working? What kind of patient population were you working with? It was cardiovascular, so cardiovascular rotation. So it's CARDS patient. They just come in. The guy was having a lot of chest pain, and on workup they found out that hey, he's taking this pembrolizumab. Okay, and so that's what led you to. Yeah, that's what made me want to pick this topic. So it's so it's, so it's interesting. You like it a lot. So you're yeah. gonna blow our minds, and then we don't it's have to talk. So interesting. So much stuff. That's good. I like it. Now I don't have to talk anymore. We're gonna shut my, my <laughs> mic off and let Rashana take it away. Um, but yeah. So where do we want to start with this? Um, you just get some background information. Cole, you got some background information, right, from the the wife? She had to educate you a little bit? Yeah, well, she reminded me a little bit of um, about some of the medical terminology that I don't deal with as often. But, yeah, we can just start with what it is. So acute pericarditis, um, inflammation of the pericardium, which is that fibrous mm, sac structure around the heart that kind of um, yeah, serves many benefits, but um, kind of reminds you of the pleura around the lungs or even the um, meninges in the brain. But uh, it's characterized by pericarditic chest pain usually um, they may present with um, uh, like a increased heart rate or some other thing but a lot of times it's chest pain and you have to delineate between that in an MI um, also pericardial friction rub and uh, you're going to see some uh, pretty specific ECG changes and if you're trying to determine whether somebody just has pericarditis or is having an MI that's another way is going to be the ECG and there are some um, uh, subtle differences between the two that you will see. But with pericarditis, you may see a new widespread ST elevation or a PR depression, uh, and you may also have new or worsening pericardial effusion. Yeah, there's a there's a really good uh, kind of Medscape review uh, on pericarditis where they, they walk through like the ECG findings uh, that can help with some of the differential um, diagnosis. And so they talk about some of the difference between, differences between that and MI. So if you're like super into reading ECGs, which I can't say that any of us are necessarily. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, definitely check that out because I think it can help. And there's a lot of things, obviously, that can present as chest pain. Um, you know, everything from esophagitis to, you know, regular angina to MI to this. I mean, there's so many different things it could be. So it's definitely not as simple as, oh, chest pain, done. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the the um, the the sternal rub, you said? Uh, pericardial friction rub. Friction rub. Um, and Jason, you were telling me a little bit about that. You actually found a good video that kind of gave you some sample sounds of what that would actually sound like with via the stethoscope on the person, right? Yeah, he basically summed it up as two pieces of sandpaper kind of rubbing together if you were to listen to the heart sounds while it was occurring. And then I also saw that as far as like chest pain goes, it was something that people felt like they had their pain worsen whenever they were taking deep breaths hmm. and that it was improved when you either sat forward or uh, stood up. Hmm. That's interesting. Were you able to hear that, Rashawn, at all in your patient? Did they oh, give no. you a chance to participate in that part? As a pharmacist, I try not to examine patients. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to live a little, you know. <laughs> you got to hang out with the real doctors and let them listen to put the stethoscope in. They feel like you're a part of the team. She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, COVID, no, I'm not getting close. That's true. I'll handle the drugs. Thank you. So, you know, as far as like what could actually cause this to happen, there's several potential causes. I mean, there's idiopathic. Um, there's several different types of infectious conditions. It could be everything from viral, um, bacterial, or even like um, a tuberculosis infection. 
there's different inflammatory um, in, uh, or rheumatoid uh, conditions that can cause it. You know, everything from RA to lupus, scleroderma. Um, there's rheumatic fever, um, metabolic issues that can cause it. Uh, renal failure is a big um, causation of, uh, of this. Hypothyroidism can lead to it. And then obviously different cardiovascular disorders. So you could have acute MI that could then eventually lead to pericarditis. You could have aortic dissection. Um, the list goes on and on. Neoplasms, um, certain medications like Roshana was saying, that's how her patient got it. Um, there's a lot of different things that can actually lead to this. And as far as you know how that differentiates how you handle the the patient, the treatment options, there is some slight differences, but the main kind of focus in a lot of these, the most common form, like the idiopathic and whatnot, the viral is very common, is, is to treat the overall inflammation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that involves treating the underlying condition depending on what's yeah, causing it. Right? Absolutely. Uh, but using drugs to treat the inflammation. Uh, but a little more about the pericardium too, because I mentioned that it, it's it's beneficial, but it kind of serves three main functions. Um, it has a mechanical function. So um, the pericardium promotes cardiac efficiency by limiting acute cardiac dilation. It also maintains ventricular compliance with preservation. So that starling curve uh, that you probably learned about with your cardiac patho class, it's important in that function. And also distributing uh, hydrostatic forces. Uh, creates a closed chamber with, um, uh, as far as pressure goes, that aids atrial filling. Um, it also lowers cardiac pressures. It also has a membranous function, so kind of like a pericardium. Um, the pericardium shields the heart, reduces external friction, and um, also it has a ligamentous function uh, where it can anatomically fix the heart if there is a uh, issue going on. And as, as far as, like, definition, the diagnosis, the, the uh, American College of Cardiology has a, a review um, that was published on their, um, in their journal back in uh, January of this year. And basically they say that uh, acute pericarditis is based on, obviously, the um, overall differential diagnosis, but they say that it's based on the presence of at least two of the following four criteria. So they mention chest pain, so characteristic chest pain, the pericardial friction rub like Cole was talking about, and then the characteristic uh, ECD, ECG changes and the new or worsening um, pericardial effusion. So they have to have two of those four to kind of reach that criteria for diagnosis. Yeah, pericardial effusion just being fluid or blood buildup um, around the heart, yeah. Isn't there always blood in the heart? <laughs> Not around. Well, I guess there would be around, too. Yeah, see, it's fine. We'll say excess. Excess, excess. excess blood. You too have too much, much blood. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's like the people that used to treat people uh, back in the 1700s with bleeding, remember? That yeah. Thing? Like blood they, they were on yeah. something. You think so? R.I.P. F- George Washington. <laughs> the four humors, yeah. I'm pretty Did, sure that's what happened to him. Didn't we talk, it is. Didn't we talk about that on one episode? Probably. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It's very... <laughs> Should do a whole episode on bloodletting. Yeah. <laughs> End of the episode. Don't do it, by the way. <laughs> Moral of the story is the evidence doesn't show us. It helps much. It's the two-second episode. Yeah. Uh, but as far as from a patho standpoint, what causes that inflammation? Um, infiltration of polymorphonuclear cells, the PNM leukocytes, um, and pericardial vascularization. That's primarily what, what functions uh, and causes the acute inflammation. Um, some laboratory studies to kind of look at. So you know, looking at like a regular CBC, um, and then doing things like, um, looking at your electrolytes, your BUN, um, 
uh, creatinine levels, and then some of like your inflammatory markers. So like your erythrocyte sedimentation rates, C-reactive protein levels, um, and then some of your like your cardiac biomarkers, maybe your lactate dehydrogenase, um, the serum glutamic oxaloacidic transaminase. I can never say that word. Nice. It's, that was brutal. Nailed it. Rashad, don't laugh at me. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> She's covering the mic and laughing. <laughs> We're going to have that on record now, Rashad. Everyone needs to know that you're bullying me. <laughs> I wish I could say that word myself. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. But... Um, so those are some of the lab values that can also can obviously help with the diagnosis. And then what about as far as um, where you're treating them? So it doesn't always have to be inpatient. It depends on the risk factors. So if they're very low risk for complications, it can be managed um, outpatient. Uh, but if they have risk factors like a fever, uh, they define it as above 100.4 a subacute onset immunosuppression, trauma, if they're on anticoagulants or um, they have failed an inset or aspirin treatment already or their significant effusion uh, or if they think there might be cardiac tamponade, then those would be poor prognostic factors. You definitely want to be treating those inpatient. But if they're treated outpatient, if they don't have uh, uh, high risk they can be treated outpatient without serious complications and the usual follow-up on that is about 38 months which is a fairly long time mm-hmm. so what do you want to go with anything else before you kind of just discuss some of the treatment options oh yeah so pericarditis it can present in four different you can have four different forms of it acute which lasts about four to six weeks it can be incessant that lasts more than four to six weeks without remission so the patient starts experiencing these symptoms without any break recurrent where the patient had a previous episode then four to six weeks have passed and the, a new episode starts again or the patient can just have chronic pericard- pericarditis where it lasts more than three months good stuff and then uh, it's what, what is I'm bringing up your patient again, Rashana. So when in that particular case, because the the medication kind of led to him developing that, what what are they going to do in that case? Are they going to try to switch his medications around, or I mean, how are they handling that? So for this patient, they're thinking of switching his medications around because they don't want to keep him on that toxic drug. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a hard. Mm-hmm. choice to make if especially if it's a medication that's dealing with something you know obviously very significant and yeah, what was he being treated for do you know i think his pembrolism i wore for was for his cancer treatment so mm-hmm. there's concern about his pericarditis actually being pericarditis versus some form of metastatic cancer oh really yeah yeah and that it's significant with um patients of malignancy or patients with cancer that can it is more, most common in them and um a lot of times, if it's cardiac tamponade, which is um, kind of a more severe form of pericardial effusion causing excess pressure, uh, where the heart effectively, you have like um, overall hemodynamic changes because of that, whereas with effusion, you don't necessarily, but with tamponade, you do. And um, it's much more urgent, but that frequently is a complication of patients with malignancy and I'm cancer. I'm happy you mentioned that because this patient had a lot of pericardial effusion. They had to do two pericardial syntheses on this patient, yeah. not just one, but a couple of days later, just go back in again, poke that needle in and remove some more fluids. Right. And with just standard effusion, that's not always the first thing you go to. So his must have been more severe, probably merging on tamponade, I would say. It looked like one of his chambers of his heart. That's how much fluid he really? had. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Jeez. Mm. 
It's a lot of fluid. It's a lot of fluid. Did you get to watch the synthesis? Unfortunately, no. Again, that's why I'm the pharmacist. Yeah, I bet it was <laughs> gross, man. Rashawn, who's your priest? I, I need to talk to your priest. <laughs> They're not letting you see any of the cool stuff. <laughs> I got a major issue with this person. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. What are they teaching kids today? I know. They're not showing them the gross stuff. Yeah, it's unbelievable. They're just all watching on TV. That's all. I blame social media. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> social media is the devil. <laughs> As we're on it all the time. <laughs> Whoops. All right. So um, treatment-wise, especially an outpatient, is pretty straightforward, um, luckily. You know, we got... Yeah. Uh, it's a serious issue. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can... There's kind of straightforward treatment yeah, yeah. options. Thank you, Cole. I don't yeah. want to downplay it. Yeah. But... In most cases, acute pericarditis can be treated with NSAIDs is the primary treatment course. So, um, you know, the the guidelines itself uh, will say doing an NSAID for typically two to four weeks um, and then uh, after the symptoms resolve. Um, and then from there, you know, and you could, that's the other thing is which NSAID to use. I mean, I've seen yeah. some data with ibuprofen. You see some with aspirin. Yeah. Um, what did you guys end up using, Rashana? So for this patient, it was mostly, it, so it's interesting. It's an interesting case because we couldn't do the usual NSAIDs because the patient had cardiac problems. So we had to go all the way down to the corticosteroids. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And he failed calcicine, which would be the second one. Right. But if he were a more normal patient, then we would definitely go with the ibuprofen route first. What were the cardiac complications that kept them from doing NSAIDs? Do you remember offhand? I don't remember offhand, but I think it has something to do with hefref. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would think too, like, I guess... It, it's interesting because yeah, you kind of, it's a risk-benefit situation there. And I don't know, I feel like it's more of a long-term use of NSAIDs that increase risk for heart attack and stroke. But I guess we don't know the, what was going on. So the, the heart attack, the NY one, that, they did do that meta-analysis that showed that it can be increased even like within the first week or two of starting NSAIDs. Mm. But I do feel like that's going to be the ones that are that lean more COX-1, or COX, excuse me, COX-2 selective. Mm-hmm. So like the diclofenac, I know mm-hmm. is a big culprit of that. Yeah. But like, you know, things like the big meta-analysis that look at things like naproxen seem to be fairly safe from a cardiovascular standpoint so um, which it doesn't really pop up i mean it is an option but it doesn't yeah. pop up in like the first couple that you choose no it, it doesn't it's usually uh, uh ibuprofen or anything indomethacin is another one that pops yeah, up which it has more side effects and um you know a poor side effect profile i guess than ibuprofen but yeah yeah it does pop up as an option the guidelines even recommend ketorolac and say limited to about five days yes definitely can't use ketorolac for more than five oh, days yeah. but yeah ketorolac that stuff's crazy. It's you, crazy. You almost man. never see it other than the, the IM shot just to get them started. They they dispensed it out of the hospital a lot. At least I see really? it in the hospital a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as NSAIDs, obviously that's the kind of like the main treatment you know, option. But then there's also an add-on to that. And Rashawn, you, you mentioned it briefly. Um, what are we given? So you have to add on calcicine for the patients for about three months if they're having an initial episode of pericarditis. And if they're having a recurrent episode, then it's a six-month duration of the calcicine, which is dosed based on their body weight. So it's interesting because there was actually a, a study um, done back in 2013 called ICAP. Um, and what they did is they were looking at patients who were being treated um, with their first episode of acute pericarditis, and they all were treated with NSAID. So it you know was their normal first line options, and then some patients uh, were getting 
colchazine, some were getting placebo. And in the dosing for the colchazine was a little different because they used the 0.5 milligrams and in, in one milligram. But that's because I guess they, the, the European dosing, I think, is the mm. 0.5. We have 0.6 because who knows why. Yeah, such a, yeah, we want to be better. Because yeah, America. America. <laughs> that's a good point. Jason brought a very good point. That's Excellent what, job, Jason. We're like, you know what? No, give us an extra 0.1 milligram. <laughs> we're not doing this 0.5 stuff. It's like the... Um, this discussion. But it's the same as it's same as aspirin. 81 versus 75, you know? Yeah. Why, we like, just have to be better. We have to. And <laughs> it's, it's cockey. It, it's, it's very cockey. Yeah, that is weird. There's got to be a better reason than <laughs> Than that, there has to be, and now I feel like I should Google it and find out what that is. No, but nah, we good. should leave it where it is. That's a good point. Um, but since we do have so many international listeners, they're probably like, "Yeah, you guys, you guys do do dumb stuff <laughs> like that. you guys are dumb." <laughs> we uh, eighty-one milligrams is definitely uh, an odd one to land on with aspirin too. Mm-hmm. That is weird. Seventy-five yeah, makes so much more, well, so just much more sense. Point six is an odd one to land on with colchicine. Super weird. Yeah, that's why I think that one was definitely us showing off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's that's. A, a very high likelihood. Well, the colchicine, you know, it probably, you know, I guess aspirin would have come first, but if colchicine had, they'd be like, let's do 0.1 milligram more. Then aspirin comes, they're like, no, we're going six milligrams more. <laughs> yes. Just knock it out of the park. Knock it out of the park. There's something with the six that I feel like the Illuminati's at work. You know what that is, Rashawn? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen the dollar bill, right? That's what really runs the country, apparently. That's <laughs> what I've heard. According to some things I've watched on YouTube, <laughs> my Wikipedia research. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go deep in that conspiracy that, theory. That we'll 5G, talk. Don't even man. start on flat Earth. It's that five G. <laughs> the five G. Oh, geez. Oh, we should start a new podcast where we just talk about that. Illuminati. Something. So, we'd be. We'd probably be killed. Maybe that you would. Know, somebody, yeah. somebody come get us. That's get true. Too close. Get too close. We we catch on so quickly to them. <laughs> we right on their tail. But um, okay. So, anyways, the ICAP trial. <laughs> Going back to that. <laughs> Um, the uh, ICAP trial, and what they were basically including was patients that were 18 and older. Um, it was the first episode, like I said, uh, it was acute pericarditis, and it was deemed as either idiopathic, um, viral, post-cardiac injury, or connective tissue disease related. And I guess... I don't know. Would this? I don't know if this would be considered post-cardiac injury because I guess technically the medicine was causing cardiac injury. So I don't know if that this guy would be classified as that, but probably. Yeah, I would put him there. And um, then the same thing like the gun. Let's talk about where they have. Uh, they included patients who had two or more of the following. They said chest pain that is sharp and um, periodic in nature, improved by sitting up or leaning forward, just like my man Jason said. Jason's on it. And then uh, pericardial friction rub um, or widespread ST segment elevation or PR depression on EKG finding and new or worsening pericardial um, pericardial effusion. So any of the two or more of those, they met the criteria. Now, they also took out patients, excluded patients, who that was from tuberculosis or if it was neoplastic in nature, um, patients that had like severe liver disease because of the colchicine, I guess, you know, we're not trying to make that worse. And um, several other types of things, like life expectancy less than 18 months, et cetera, et cetera. Look up the trial if you're super interested. It is important, though, to mention all those different causes, idiopathic, viral, um, connective tissue, because what we're really doing is treating the symptoms, which is just the inflammation to prevent um, an ongoing issue that gets worse. Um, So with the NSAIDs, they're kind of high doses, relatively speaking, um, not like higher than you've ever seen, but they say a full dose inset should be used. So if it's aspirin, it's two to four grams a day. If it's ibuprofen, it's 12 to eight, 1200 to 1800 milligrams a day. Endomethacin is 75 to 150 for one to two weeks. 
um, and that's or maintained until the C-reactive protein is normalized, and then you have to taper uh, over one to two weeks because it can recur. Uh, it's not necessarily nipped in the bud if, after that. And in, in also, the patients in this study were given a PPI as well, I guess, to you know, protect from gastric ulcers and all yeah. that good stuff. So what they were looking at, the primary outcome, was looking for incessant or recurrent pericarditis. Because that was a big question is like, we t- have, you know, took care of the first episode, the patient got better. What's the likelihood of them having a recurrence? And uh, what they found was that when you add colchizine to it, and what they did is they did colchizine, they did one milligram. So that would be the equivalent of like, are two, 1.2 milligrams with some pieces ch- chipped off um, <laughs> very carefully <laughs> so that it's accurate. And then um, they gave that daily for three months. And then if uh, the patient's weight was less than 70 kilograms, um, and then or if they are having uh, issues like symptoms, you know, uh, side effects, whatever, they would drop it to the 0.5 or in our case 0.6 uh, milligrams daily. And that was compared against placebo. So um, at the end of the study, what they ended up finding from the primary composite, and this was um, insistent defined as, uh, when they say insistent, they defined that as persistent or a symptom-free interval of less than six weeks. And uh, they found that 37.5% of patients um, met that uh, or were, were kept from having a recurrence and then 167 um and the other group. So the number needed to treat was, it was significant. The number needed to treat was only five. Hmm. So it was such a low number needed to treat. In fact, it was also better when they looked at all the secondary outcomes. So persistent symptoms at 72 hours, number needed to treat was only five. Nice. Remission at one week, number needed to treat was four. Oof. I've never seen numbers needed to treat this low. <laughs> oh, how many patients were in that trial? Four. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Six. Um, it was, uh, 120 in each each arm. Got gotcha. so 280, uh, 280 total, and then um, some of them, well, I guess, were Dropped lost. Off, yeah. So um, let's see uh, what else. Uh, cardiac um, tamponade was was not significant, so that's one that that wasn't different. But um, basically, everything that revolved around the pericarditis itself, or even like pericarditis related hospitalization, was significant. With number needed to treat of 11. So all of those things basically um, were better. So that Basically, that's kind of standard of care now as long as the person doesn't have any contraindications or anything. Yeah. If you want the person not to have a, a recurrence, add that colchizine. Yeah, so it's primarily from that trial. And and what was also weird, too, is the uh, adverse effects. So I know when I heard two uh, tablets of colchizine basically every single day, which oh. isn't out of control with, you know, you know someone taking, like, gout with, uh, yeah. like, TOFI or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the adverse effects when you compare the two – so any adverse effect um, showed up as 10% in the colchicine and then 11.7% in the <laughs> placebo group. So uh, no serious side effects were reported in either group. Um, discon- Not even diarrhea. Yeah. So that's the other thing. I, yeah, that's the, They just started right off with two tablets. I would say yeah. that's, that's hopefully you're starting that and at least giving them some warning that look. Yeah. Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> be, be somewhere where you don't have to be out in public because – Colchicine can cause a little little situation. <laughs> the dose was split, though, wasn't it? It wasn't. I, th- I have to look I, back. I, I, I think it was I probably it was split. Twice a day. So. Yeah, it probably was. Okay. Probably helpful then. Yeah. But uh, that, so you get a half diarrhea twice a day morning. instead of a whole diarrhea mm-hmm. once a day. Right. I just give mine with Victoza and I just call it the compensation and just clear it right up. <laughs> Don't do that either. <laughs> 
So you mentioned that your patient, who it was from a side effect of a drug, got steroids. Um, so one of the marks against steroids is that they can delay myocardial infarction healing. So you can have pericarditis after having an MI. So mm-hmm. we talked about trying to separate the two, but you can have an MI first and then have pericarditis following. So that obviously would not apply to your patient, but that might be a reason not to use uh, steroids and go for one of the other more first-line options. Though aspirin is recommended if it is pericarditis post-MI, aspirin is the answer that's recommended. The only one. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess that makes sense because it's mostly working towards COX-1. And I guess we could throw this in there just for, so I think we've talked about this with osteoarthritis, but when you think about, the reason that whole talk between, you know, whether we want non-selective NSAIDs or sele- like COX-2 selective, like the celecoxib, um, or aspirin, why we give aspirin is like the NSAID of choice for like cardiovascular, you know, prevention when it comes to like secondary issues. You know, the, the, if you think about like the COX pathways, so you have arachidonic acid and you have COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes coming from there. And some of the byproducts of that on the COX-1 side, you're getting things like um, certain acosinoids like thromboxane um, and some of your vasoconstrictor type um, acosinoids. And then you have on the uh, other side, the COX-2 side, you're getting more of your dilatory. So like prostacyclin and some of those. So when you are you know, you're blocking the more on the COX-1 side, like with aspirin, mm-hmm. you get unopposed COX-2 activity, which then means you're getting more prostacyclin production, more vasodilation. And so it allows for less chance of cardiovascular um, issues. Now, the flip side of that, just like we were talking about with that clofenac, that's going to lean more on the COX-2 side. Mm-hmm. So you're shutting down more prostacyclin activity than you would be thromboxane. So you start getting a higher concentration of thromboxane um, and other, you know, and thialin and there's other, you know, vasoconstrictors. You get a higher concentration of those. That's going to lead to a higher likelihood of cardiovascular event because you're getting vasoconstriction over time, all that good stuff. Right. So just in case you were ever wondering about that, there you go. Throw that two cents in there. That was free, Roshana. How about that? Clinical pearl. <laughs> that is, that's what that is. Yeah. Every once in a while, we throw one in there. Not a lot. But Sometimes people learn something from this. Just most, every once in a while. Most of the time, they just fast forward through our <laughs> nonsense and get to the end. But for the steroids, so in general, I should say steroids shouldn't be used for initial treatment. So patients who maybe it's indicated because of an underlying disease or they didn't have a response to NSAIDs or colchicine or they're contraindicated. So for your guy, NSAIDs contraindicated, colchicine not effective, so we're going with the steroids. Yeah, and the steroids are actually associated with more prolonged course and a higher recurrence of the disease. That's why they won colchicine from the ICAP trial that Dr. Corvina talked about and the COPE trial that also showed the same reduced recurrence and hospitalization for patients that use colchicine. Nice. And also, as far as treating the underlying condition, so for your guy, it was a medication issue. So we're swapping the medication. With viral stuff, you kind of just have to wait it out. Uh, with an MI, you treat the underlying condition. But that's what this is. It's a it's kind of a secondary issue that has symptom management that's needed. Yep. There, um, there's also other therapies that they're kind of looking at and have considered. So like if it's um, beneficial in patients that are – this is straight from the, the American College of Cardiology summary. They say um, – there's been certain medications that have been shown uh, to be beneficial in patients that, with refractory um, corticosteroid-dependent disease. So some options that you could consider would be things like um, azathioprine or methotrexate, some of the like the DMARDs that we would think about for uh, like rheumatoid conditions and you know inflammatory conditions. Um, they've also used uh, like intravenous immunoglobulins and then um, surgical 
um, paradectomy is considered as a last resort kind of thing. So you can get real fancy with it, but I would say uh, defer to cardiology. <laughs> yeah, they usually save the surgeries for last. Yeah. I know when I'm doing surgery, I always save it for last. You know, they say surgeons, though, they like to have it first. Yeah. Well, I don't know, though. I'll ask them. <laughs> Rashawn, ask them for me, okay? I will do that tomorrow. Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right, guys. What? what anything else? Did we, what did we miss, Rashana? Anything? I didn't say you miss it, but they started. You can use IL one blockers like anakinra in patients that have acute pericarditis. Also, there's only one trial that is just, like mostly just case studies that they've used, but it's being proposed now, so it's an option. Nice. I should also say because we covered everything else, we didn't miss anything except for this one thing. <laughs> Um, I mentioned the cancer was the most common cause of uh, pericardial effusion with tamponade uh, in developed countries, but tuberculosis in endemic areas can also cause tamponade. Mm -hmm. It should be considered if you're in an area where tuberculosis has um, high infectious rates. Yep. Remember when we did a podcast on tuberculosis and then literally the guidelines changed five minutes later? We did the podcast, though. We did. And you know what that means? We gotta do another one. We gotta do another one. Thank you. I'm so glad the guidelines changed. It gives us one more topic we can talk about. <laughs> Rashana, sometimes we run out of things to say. And I so, don't believe it. I, no, well, Mike wait. always has something to say. She's usually not important. <laughs> so, Rashana, what's next for you? Uh, next, I go do an emergency medicine rotation down in Florida. Nice. Florida. Nice. Yeah. So, we'll see all those Florida men they talk about in the news. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Um, at least you won't be. Uh, like burning up in Florida because it's finally some getting some cold weather around here, which I guess this is nothing compared to the Caribbean, huh? Um, yeah, so, so chill I, there. <laughs> so the uh, that's cool, Florida. I mean, Jason, you're off next month, right? Yeah, but in January I'm doing a compounding rotation. That's right, that's right. Because and you you really like compounding a lot, right? It was my interest going into school. It's kind of like what I was setting my sights on initially, and I guess my first rotation. I th I'm gonna have two total. And the first one kind of confirmed the fact that I like it. And then the second time around, I'm going to try and get more into like the clinical aspect of it. Cause I, I haven't really had much exposure to it despite wanting to do it, which sounds stupid, but that's how, that's how I roll. It's so all good. We're going, we're going. That's how most of us in. roll. Yes. We just kind of get an idea and go with it and just hope it works it. out. Yeah. So. Half the people in pharmacy school have never even worked in a pharmacy before. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So we're going with that so far. I've liked it. And then hopefully I can get a little bit more into like the clinical aspect of why they do things because last time it was more of like a technical learning thing to like figure out how to do things and do things efficiently and stuff like that so yeah that's cool is it the stuff that uh you're going to be doing is it compounding like um like non-sterile where you're making creams and you know lozenges things like that or and are you going to be doing some of the stuff in the hood like making uh like certain sterile compounding things like hormones and stuff like that uh it was, I guess, considered non-sterile for the most part. Last rotation, I was doing hormone stuff in a hood, mainly for the fact because I think progesterone powder is super fluffy. So if you just like look at it, it'll fly everywhere. So hmm. it was more of a mess prevention strategy, I think. Gotcha. But uh, most of the stuff I was dealing with when I was at my last rotation was hormones and then uh, flavoring other medications for pets or pain management. Do so. you do bacon flavored stuff for dogs? Uh, yeah, I spilled some like beef flavoring in the hood and it smelled for like two days. <laughs> awesome. Uh, not good, but there are good flavors out there with like right when I was leaving, they ordered a uh, cheesecake. So they were going to mess what? around with like strawberry cheesecake trochies for hormone replacement. That's cool. I didn't get to like taste it, but, uh, it smelled really good. So yeah. 
cheesecake or the hormones. Listen, if I have to eat progesterone, it's going to be with cheesecake. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this while I do it. No, the uh, actually speaking of like the combining stuff, I listened to a um, a CE from it was on FreeCE.com. Shout out to them because we've had we, know, we had Dr. Kevin Hope on here before, mm-hmm. but um, they had a whole like I think it was a two hour uh, CE on there about hormone replacement that was all centered around compounding. Mm-hmm. There's way more that goes into that than I actually thought. Like I've always just kind of pictured. You know, some estrogen cream and they have compounds for everything that could be and same yep. with you know compounding certain things like sildenafils mixed with fluoxetine and yep. all kinds of different stuff super interesting so it if is. you have any interest in that whatsoever absolutely go check that one out the the, the pharmacist i don't know her name so i'm, I'm feel bad but she did a fantastic job so there's a lot of great job there's a lot of regulation but there's good money in it too yeah definitely there's there's some cool stuff out there. We need to do one with because uh, they're doing all those things for like the anti aging stuff now. Mm-hmm. Should be another podcast that we do yeah. talking about the compounding for all that stuff. Ibuprofen stuff. It was uh, for like scar healing. Mm-hmm. It was to kind of prevent scar tissue from forming. They had different formulations whether or not it was like new uh, incisions to kind of prevent scarring, and they also had like a different formulation that was slightly tweaked so for like older scars that people had had that was supposed to help kind of like remove that visual aspect of it at least to make it less glaring i guess because people get self-conscious and stuff about that type of stuff so see my whole face is a scar mm, so yeah. i would just i was born with it yeah <laughs> all over it. it yeah see scar like that whole like stupid thing that people say or scars or tattoos with better stories well yes <laughs> not everyone looks good with a tattoo <laughs> <laughs> No, but um, no, that's definitely some cool stuff. So if you're interested in that, um, just that was some two cents. Definitely check out that um, those information. There's a lot of cool compounding stuff out there that if you're not familiar with, is pretty interesting once you kind of dive into it. Maybe we'll talk about that one of these days. Yeah. Find out who did that one and have her on the show instead of us talking about. It. <laughs> Probably be a better option. What we'll do is just air her CE, <laughs> and then release it as our podcast. Oh man, honestly, that's the perfect idea. <laughs> There's no way that's going to come out to bite us at all. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Anything else, y'all? I know we kind of rambled at the end, but anything else? Roshana, we missed anything else we need to talk about? No, I think you got it all. <sighs> Nailed it. Everything. <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> um, also, to, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes, but check out the uh, Medscape article if you really want like an in, some in-depth information on the stuff because it's a pretty good review. So check that out. Um, but yeah, other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, make sure you leave a comment um, on iTunes and give us a rating. If you don't want to leave a comment, at least you can click the stars, preferably five of them <laughs> instead of one. Um, but uh, yeah, if you have any questions for us, reach out to us on any of the social media platforms. You can email us, um, and our emails will be in the show notes as well. Uh, you can text us directly at area code 415-943-6116. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you much. Have a great one.